Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for another day of life. Thank you that we can be right here, right now, on this day, for this purpose. What a blessing it is, not only to be allowed to have a relationship with you, but also in your wisdom that you have entrusted us as your co-laborers in this work of redemption. Lord, we want to take that seriously. We want to be about our Father's business. So now as we turn our attention to our time here, we want to dedicate ourselves once again to you. We want to invite and appeal that you would send to us your Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth, to soften our hearts, to sharpen our minds, to make us more like Jesus, that we may be faithful and useful in his cause. For we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. I'll tell you just a very, very little bit about myself because you didn't come to learn about me. You came to learn about information and, and resources and tools you can put to use as a missionary. But I came from the South, as we were just talking about with our dear sister. What was your name again, sister? Evelyn. Thank you for being here. She's from my hometown of Madison, Tennessee. And uh, I went to, when I grew up, I grew up in the Seventh Adventist Church. I like to joke that I'm the single most Adventist person on the planet. I was born to Seventh Adventist parents in a Seventh Adventist hospital that my mom worked at, that hospital. And um, my parents went to the church just across the street from the hospital, um, and they still do to this day. I went to school at the school across the street from the church, an elementary school, and then when it was time for high school, I went to the Adventist Academy across the next street, right on the same campus from where I was born, went to church, went to elementary school, went to academy. And when it was, uh, when I was old enough, I had to leave home, <laughs> finally, and I went to college. But of course, I went, we had a college inside of Tennessee at that time, and it had just recently gotten a name change to Southern Adventist University, but it was couple hours from our home, and I went there until I was 22 years old. I was, and then I took, I got a degree in the only thing, or the, the, I don't know if it's the only thing, but it's certainly the thing I was most prepared in life for, which was religious education, because that's all I'd had was a religious education. So I got a degree in religious education, and I went and got a job at an Adventist academy. Right? And in that, since that time, I have married an Adventist lady, we have three little Seventh-day Adventist children, <laughs> and I'm right here in the Michigan Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, right? I was literally born in the church, and I haven't left yet. And I used to think about uh, that not being a powerful testimony, but I realized, uh, looking around, the statistics do not bear out that people born in the church stay in the church. I wish we heard more testimonies. I was born here, and I'm still here. Anyway, I went to Southern Adventist University, but I mentioned the name change. It had recently gotten the name change. Before that, it had been Southern College of Seventh Adventist. They stepped it up to university level. But before that, it had a different name. Southern Missionary College. Southern Missionary College. That's right. And what's interesting is you'll find out that this wasn't unique to that one school. For instance, um, anybody know what the original name of the Loma Linda University was? It's College of Medical Evangelists, CME, the College of Medical Evangelists, Southern Missionary College. Um, I'm thinking about Washington Adventist University. It used to be Washington Missionary College. Andrews University, right here in Michigan, used to be known as the 
Emmanuel Missionary College. There was the expectation that when you were a Seventh-day Adventist and you got an Adventist education, you were a member of the Seventh-day Adventist church, that you were expected to be a missionary. It was supposed to be part of our DNA that we were a missionary. We were not just to be another denomination option amongst Christian churches. We were to be a movement raised up by God to give a distinct message to the world. That was the expectation. The Michigan Conference of Seventh-day Adventists believes in that mission still to this day. Thus, they have the Emmanuel Missionary, well, the Emmanuel Institute, that gets its name from that. In fact, I want to read that. In an article from the Adventist Review and Sabbath Herald of August 25, 1903, this description was given. Emmanuel Missionary College has for its sole purpose the training of missionaries. That's its one reason to exist. Oh, and by the way, you can get a career. Right? It's almost offhandedly, oh, you can be a nurse, you can be a, whatever the thing, but the one thing you're there for is to be a missionary, and the other thing is the side dish. In those days, every church member was a missionary, and every occupation was a mission field. Right? That's why J.N. Loughborough, in his book, The Great Second Advent Movement, wrote on page 396, you'll find this quote there, to qualify laborers fully prepared for work in any part of the world where they may be called in the providence of God to labor is the one great desire and aim of the teachers of the Emmanuel Missionary College. I believe that the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and I know this sounds heretical a little bit, but just give me a second. I know it's heresy, just wait. <laughs> we have too many members that are merely members, Right? that we've settled into a, a membership of this denomination instead of being a missionary for Jesus Christ. There is this concept that every member is supposed to be made. I want, to take out, I want you to take out your Bibles. I assume you brought your Bibles with you, yes? yes. Praise the Lord. That's not to shame you if you didn't. The Holy Spirit will take care of that. <laughs> but in Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Right there in that little sandwich of books. Uh, Ephesians. <laughs> all the Ians there. Ephesians chapter 4. We find Paul's description of the work of ministry. And I like to, to preface this when I preach this in a sermon that every Adventist evangelist is familiar with Luke 23, 43 in the problem comma where Jesus, when dying on the cross, looks to his side, and he gives that beautiful promise to the thief on the cross. But if you read it with the punctuation as it's inserted in the scripture, it gives a misunderstanding to what Jesus was saying. Did Jesus say, today you will be with me in paradise? Or does he say, I say to you today, comma, you will be with me in paradise? That comma makes a big difference, right? And we have to explain to people that what the words are right, but the punctuation gives the wrong meaning to the words. We have to kind of dissect that a little bit. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, and look what God has appointed in the church to do the work of ministry in the church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, And he himself, and notice that's he, capital H, himself, capital H. Who is the he himself that Paul received this instruction from? Jesus Christ, right? And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, clearly, is everyone called to be a pastor, a teacher, an administrator in the church? No, some are, 
But if you say some are, that inf- implies that the majority are not. Only some are. Right? So what is the job of those responsibilities? What is the duty that they are called to? Well, let's keep reading. And does anyone here have a King James Version of the Bible with them today? Okay, could someone be my volunteer? I like your southern accent right here on the front row. So if you could read to us Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, as it reads punctuation in the King James Version. For the perfecting of the saints, for the, comma, for the work of the ministry, comma, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Thank you. Pastors, Bible teachers, evangelists, apostles, all of those listed responsibilities, what are their jobs in the ch- local church, apparently, or for the church members? The first one is to perfect the saints. That's job number one. The next one is to do the work of ministry. And the third one is to edify or build up the body of Christ. And that's what we expect pastors and teachers and administrators and conference employees to do. That's your job description, is to perfect the saints and do the work of ministry and build up the church. Does anyone have a new King James Version of the Bible? All right. This, by the way, this is not a course on Bible translations. Please don't give me your tracks about whatever your convictions are on that. That's not what we're here for. I just want to point something out, okay? Verse 12. Verse 12. Just verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the comma, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now how many jobs are there? Two. Interesting. So apparently it's to help those saints do the work of ministry and also edify the body of Christ. Now I don't have, does anyone happen to have a new international version with them? You have one? Okay. Ah, that one, I'm not sure if that one's going to get our point there. Now, the point is that the new, Ameri- uh, the new international version, I don't have it memorized, but it basically says to train the people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. One job. So which version is correct? <laughs> you could say all of them. That's a, that's a safe answer. You could go into politics. Thank you. <laughs> Ooh, it's, it almost feels weird to say the NIV sounds right. Now, do we just take the one that we like the best? As a church member, I might like that first reading. Yes, we have pastors, teachers, and evangelists, and administrators. Their job is to help me get better, perfect the saints, and their job is to do the work of ministry, and their job is to build up the body of Christ. My job is to pray for their work, to support it with my tithes and offerings, <laughs> Somebody's like, yeah, now we're preaching. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> or is it that second one, or is it perhaps even that third one? Is it? Let's keep reading. By the way, that's how you, this is a little bit of a hermeneutics instruction. If there is a text that could be read one way or the other, you don't just pick the one that agrees with your already position. You try to see what the author's intent was. You look at the context, right? So let's keep reading here in Ephesians chapter 4. Again, it says, well, start again with verse 11. He, said, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the goal of building us up is 
not just to grow numerically or quantitatively, but qualitatively become like Jesus, right? That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. By the way, in the Seventh-day Adventist church today and in the world at large, in the Christian world especially, there is every wind of doctrine blowing. Apparently we're not supposed to be battered about and taken by these winds and apparently we're supposed to have a solid foundation and not move. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Now look at verse 16. is going to give us our answer to our question from verse 12. From whom, speaking of Jesus still, the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Notice that the body is held together when every joint is supplying support, right? According to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Apparently, the church is supposed to grow when every member does the work. Far too often we have a, instead of a worker mentality, we have a watcher mentality amongst the laity. The church is set up for a hundred people to come and watch one man work. When in reality, that one man's job is to get a hundred people working. What if every member of the Seventh-day Adventist church had this concept that I'm not here to merely watch someone work, I'm here to be a worker in the cause of God. How would that change so many things? How would it change the how interesting your church service is. How would it change the growth rate in your local church or your local conference if every member said, no, I'm, if this church is going to grow, that's on me. His job is to equip me to do my job. Now, let me be clear. I still think that there's a role for pastors and administrators, namely because I am one. But the text clearly says that there are some called to that, but not everyone is, but the majority are supposed to be those every joint doing their work as part of the body of Christ. And that's why we're here today. To help train every member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church to be a missionary for Jesus Christ. Listen to this statement. You've probably heard it before, but it bears repeating in light of what we've just studied. This is from Gospel Workers, page 352. You can also find it in the book Christian Service, I believe it's page 68. But it says, The work of God in this earth can never be finished. Now, if it stopped there, that would be the single most discouraging passage in the spirit of prophecy. The work of God can never be finished. Let's bow our heads for prayer. (laughs) No, but it says, The work of God in earth can never be finished until... Which implies it can be finished, but there is a prerequisite. The work of God in this earth can never be finished until the men and women comprising our church membership rally to the work and unite their efforts with those of ministers and church officers. The only way, and this isn't hyperbole, we see it from the scripture, we see it from the spirit of prophecy, the only way the church will grow and fulfill its mission of becoming like Christ and giving the message of Christ is when every member is a missionary. We must get back to that mindset.
That is why we, the Michigan Conference has invested time and money and had the Emanuel Institute and now is bringing it into the office so it can be a blessing even on a wider scale. And we're partnering with Amazing Facts and the AFCO program to bring you this program here at camp meeting. Because we want to see this happen. Because it's the only way it's going to work. Listen to this. From Ministry of Healing, page 149. Many would be willing to work. Now, I know that when we talk about the things we just said, there might be conviction, but then you leave saying, but I don't know what to do. I mean, I see that it's right. I know that I should. I know that it's good. In fact, it's a necessity. But what do I do with all that hyped up inspiration? That's one of the problem sometimes is preaching we get people all high and woohoo and then there's no follow-through how do i turn that theory into action listen to this many would be willing to work if they were taught how to begin that only makes sense they need to be instructed and encouraged every church should be a training school for christian workers Now, I think about that. Go back to that opening thing where I grew up in the Seventh Adventist Church and I went to Seventh Adventist schools and I attended all these Seventh Adventist programs. But there was a time in my earlier adult life that I realized I couldn't share my faith. How is it possible that I'd gone to church every week for 18, 20, 30 years? Who knows how long you've been going to church too? Or gone to Adventist schools every single day? And still at the end of it, don't know how to give a Bible study. That's a problem. And I praise the Lord for AFCO and for Emmanuel and for all the different soul-winning institutes that are out there. And as a pastor in the field, I was conflicted about their existence. Because part of me says, praise the Lord, let's send our members there and get them trained. And we'll we'll devote the time and the money and, and, and promote it and all this kind of stuff. Which happened in some of the churches. We have... Some results of that right here today. But at the same time, and they, by the way, if you ever send someone to the Emmanuel course or an AFCO program or something like that, and they go and get that full immersion experience, it's not just a weekend thing, but they go for weeks at a time and they really spend all day doing it, they put it into practice, they come back to the local church on fire. I don't know if you've experienced, how many of you have already gone to a program like that and gone to your local church? It was a new experience when you went back, wasn't it? It certainly was. And the other people notice it, things start to move. It's exciting, right? It's an infectious fire. It's wonderful. And so as a pastor, I was like, yeah, let's send folks to Emmanuel. But then the other part of me is a little bit like, why are they going to Emmanuel to get something they should be getting here? How is it possible that we have people who've spent decades in Seventh-day Adventist institutions, churches and schools and whatnot, and they don't know how to share their faith? So I see these as a wonderful opportunity on the one hand and a standing rebuke on the other. So I've told as many people as I can, I'm going to support these programs on one hand, and my goal is to run them out of business. (laughs) It should be part of the DNA of every Seventh-day Adventist institution that every Seventh-day Adventist gets training to be a missionary. Again, listen, every church should be a training school for Christian workers. Its members should be taught how to give Bible readings, what we would call Bible studies. 
how to conduct and teach Sabbath school classes. By the way, could Sabbath school be improved in our Seventh-day Adventist church? Do you think a little instruction might help? We're going to find out in the coming months and years. Don't worry, we're getting there. It's coming. Okay, Just want to plant that seed. How best to help the poor and to care for the sick? Maybe some practical medical. Do you think medical would work well with the evangelistic work? Absolutely. How to work for the unconverted. There should be schools of health, cooking schools, and classes in various lines of Christian help work. There should not only be teaching, but actual work under experienced instructors. This is what church should look like, she says. Let the teachers lead the way in working among the people, and others uniting with them will learn from their example. One example is worth more than many precepts. So when you go home from this, you're going to get training, and then you're going to go be an example in your local church. And there might just be the one of you, or two of you, or just a small handful. But let me tell you something. Just a couple of people can make a massive difference in a local church. You can be the little rudder that steers the ship. You can be an example. You can be contagious. And people will be inspired through your witness. It's a powerful thought. So, I want to welcome you to the Emmanuel AFCO Combined Program amazing disciples. I want to thank you for being here, and I pray that the Lord will bless your time. I trust, in fact, that the Lord will bless your time. He is going to honor this commitment. I promise you. So be of good courage. Some of the stuff will be new ideas. Some of it might be even challenging. The whole getting outside of your comfort zone thing is probably going to happen. Go with it. But it's God's way of building up an army of workers to finish this work and hasten the coming of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. At this time, I want to introduce Pastor Mark Howard, the Associate Director of the Sabbath School and Personal Ministries Department, and your instructor, one of your instructors this day, and I'm not sure exactly how he wants to transition to the next phase, but I'll just trust him that he knows what he's doing. I'll get out of his hair. Get out of the way, Cameron. There you go. Good morning, everyone. I want to turn our attention to scripture for a little bit, and then we're going to take a break here shortly, but I just want to set the tone with some of what we're covering today. I'd like to begin again with a word of prayer, and then I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles. Father in heaven, we are thankful for being called to be your witnesses, and I ask, Lord, this morning that your Holy Spirit would enlighten our minds, illuminate our minds, give us not just a cognitive understanding, Lord, but help us to lay hold of what it means to be called to be your witnesses. I ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew 24 here for a moment. Uh, just want to share a thought with you that will be definitive for this coming week. Matthew 24, let's start in verse 1. I'm tempted to read before, but I'll, you'll see where we're going to go here. The Bible says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to what? Show him him the buildings of the temple. Now, Matthew 23 is usually a pretty well-known, for most people, it's pretty well-known. Maybe it is or isn't to you. you, How many of you know what Matthew 23 is? What was Matthew 23? What does the Bible call it? Is there a heading on there? If you look back, it says it. Woes on the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, this is really an interesting chapter for a couple reasons. Throughout Jesus' whole ministry, he's had contention with the religious leaders, or they have had contention with him, it'd be better said. But he's really never denounced them like this. This is right as he's coming to the end of his ministry, 
And now he is calling out and denouncing. And maybe I should make this point too. I think this is important because sometimes we, we take the sides in scripture and we boo hiss the villain and the Pharisees the bad guy, etc., etc. If you had lived in Christ's day, you would never have seen it. We always know, oh yeah, the Pharisees. That's, uh, if you were in Christ's day, you would have been like the disciples and said, if Pharisees can't be saved, who can be saved? Rich people can't be saved, who can be saved? But the scripture exposes their motives. And, you know, and, 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 and this was the first time Christ really exposed them to the people and for him to be saying you scribes and pharisees hypocrites and throughout you have that word the word hypocrites in the greek means actor it's what we call a hollywood actor today we would use the word actor he said you're a bunch of actors you're pretenders and for him to just go and get and give examples and call out these are the people just imagine it this way imagine that jesus comes in and here's this new rabbi and he's teaching this crazy stuff and then you know, you're like, hey, that's kind of interesting, but you haven't figured yet, you haven't like, he's just one of many different teachers, but you've grown up with teachers like uh, Mark Finley and with Doug Batchelor and this and that. And then here comes this point where this Jesus starts calling these guys out and saying, you guys aren't even real Christians. It would be shocking to you. It would be, wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, okay, maybe you don't agree with something they say, but you've put your trust in these people your whole life. Your whole religious experience is these people. And Jesus has just called them all out. And he's come, he's come from that experience. I mean, he finishes up in verse 37 of chapter 23. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather, you, uh, gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more, till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, wow. And then he leaves the temple for good. And as he's going out, the Bible says, and the reason I'm saying it, I'm framing it this way, is if you just read verse 1 of chapter 24, it really sounds weird. They go out of the temple, and Jesus' disciples do what? It says they show him the buildings of the temple. What's that about? Hey, Master, look at the... Look, well, he's never seen the buildings before? Now think about it in the context of his denunciations, and they come out. What are they pointing at? What are they saying to him? Why are they showing Jesus the buildings of the temple? Okay, introduce value back into it. How's that? Listen to me carefully. This is, in essence, what they're doing. Lord, look at these institutions. I mean, we have hospitals. We have churches. We have PMC. We have Loma Linda. You're telling me, I mean, how could we, how, look at it. We, we make millions of dollars doing this work, and we're world-renowned because of our health study, and, and, and we're the healthiest people on the planet, and you're telling me that we're wrong? How could, Lord, look, look. They're showing him the establishment, the institution, as the evidence that maybe what he just told the religious leaders wasn't exactly on point. They had so much confidence in the institution, and they couldn't, they couldn't grasp or maybe accept that everything they had founded themselves on was wrong. That the religion they'd grown up with, as, as, as good intentioned as they were, their understandings were wrong. 
They came to show him the buildings of the temple, and Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And of course, that launches them into the question, well, what's going to be the end of the, what's, what's your coming going to be like in the end of the world? Because if, if this building and all these things are going to be thrown down, that's going to have to be the end of all things in their mind. But here's the point I want you to understand. I believe this week, for some of you, we're going to cover things that will be like tearing down every stone you ever had in your experience. There are expectations we have in Christianity that aren't even biblical. And Pastor, Pastor Cameron teaches a, preaches a sermon that, that he was preaching part of it this morning calling doing the wrong job well. Right? When the Bible talks about the, the role of the pastor to train the members to do the work of evangelism and build up the church, you put all those commas in there and all of a sudden as a pastor's work, we look to the pastor. This whole looking to the pastor, that's papal. That's not biblical. That's not the church Jesus built. You don't find Jesus building up the church with the disciples and saying, now you guys look to me and I'm going to do everything and you do nothing. In fact, sometimes we, we wonder at the, at the, at the, that he would even ask the disciples to do some things. He sent, even sent Judas out witnessing. You're like, well, Lord, do it yourself. Jesus could have done better, right? You never find that example in Scripture that Jesus says, hey, now just I'll do it and you guys just watch. But that's where we are today, even in the Adventist church. And if you go back and look at Adventist history, we didn't start out this way. Used to be a saying among Adventist ministers, we talk about what was called settled pastors. You know what a settled pastor is? Your pastors. Your pastors. A settled pastor was a pastor who was a pastor over a specific church or churches that he could call my churches. We didn't have them. The elders would lead the churches, and the pastor would go around and build up and strengthen the elders to lead the churches and move on to new fields. And then we got to a point where some people cried out and said, well, we need a pastor. And so we had a couple, and the, and the mindset in our church got to be, wow, this is, if we ever go down the road, and this is where the other churches were, the other denominations. We said, if we go down that road, we're going to become decadent just like they are. I mean, I can show you quotes I can show you from a series that A.G. Daniels, the conference president, preached in the 1900s in California, and he talked about this whole thing, and he said, boy, we, we don't want to go down this road. I can show you quotes from H.M.S. Richards. Yet here we are, where the experience that we are in, what we call and understand church, is not what you find, and we're going to see this today in Scripture. It's not what you find in the early church. It's not what you find in the Bible. It's not the framework that Jesus set up. It's not the church he built. And so, he said, not one stone is going to be left upon another. We're going to dissemble some stones this week. And by God's grace, let the Lord rebuild them into a picture that we need to see and understand as his last day church. I want to share with you a statement before we take a break here from the book Christian Service, page 42. If you don't have the book Christian Service, now Christian Service is compiled from a lot of different places, but it's a fantastic book. If you just need, and you will need, I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going to say, take the if out of it. We need jump-started when it comes to passion for soul winning. We need to be encouraged because the devil works to discourage the atmosphere. And, and, and I remember when I first came in the church, I was so excited about sharing what I knew, and it was so little. I mean, I, there was so much I didn't know. 
And I wanted to learn, but I wasn't waiting for somebody to train me because I couldn't. I just was too excited. I had to tell, I told people and I told them the wrong way. Like, were you here for Elder Mitchell's sermon the other night? Little Jimmy went to the neighbor and said, boy, it's not as hot as it's going to be where you're going to go. Well, (laughs) let me tell you something. And I, we talked about this backstage and you may have done things like you've, maybe you've done things like that. That was a pretty, that was a, that was a doozy. But let me tell you something. If we don't ever do things like that, we never become witnesses. I mean, there is nobody who is human, except for the Son of God who took upon himself humanity, who starts out doing it right. You've got to learn, and you don't learn except by doing. And sometimes you make those mistakes. You know, the Lord uses them. I'll bet that, I'll bet that neighbor that Jimmy went to, what was his neighbor's name? I bet Mr. Jones, I bet the Lord used that to stir Mr. Jones. Hey, it, may, it wasn't the right way. But I can tell you example after example where the Lord has used that to awaken people. Mr. Brown, that's right. Mr. Brown. In the book Christian Service, Christian Service is just, I'm recommending that. As, it's a great book. To, it just will stir you up every time you read it says on page 42, a revival and a reformation must take place under the ministration of the Holy Spirit. Now, we've talked revival in our church for a while now. You know what the word revive means, right? Now, if I'm praying for revival, then I'm really praying that God would bring me back to life. What is the prerequisite? It's not that I've got to be dead. I am. I just got to admit it, right? I got to acknowledge it. We talk all the time about revival, but I'm going to tell you when, when, notice what it goes on to say. I'll come back to it. Revival and reformation are two different things. Revival signifies a renewal of spiritual life, a quickening of the powers of mind and heart, a resurrection from the spiritual death. Reformation signifies a reorganization, a change in ideas and theories, habits and practices. Reformation will not bring forth the good fruit of righteousness unless it's connected with the revival of the Spirit. So these things go together. But it's interesting. There are a lot of people that talk revival. I want revival. But then when people talk about reform that goes with revival, then somebody says, oh, no, we don't want that. And then the question has to be, do we really feel like we're spiritually dead? When I think my opinion counts so much about how I think we ought to do things, I'm not acting like I'm spiritually dead. I'm acting like I know it all. And that hinders us. The Lord says revival and reformation must take place, but in order for that to take place, there's going to need to be a change in ideas and theories, habits, and practices. Not one stone is going to remain upon another. We've got to be willing to let the Lord reteach us if he needs to reteach us. And the reality is, you know, now you could, I've, seen, I've heard people take this different ways. You could be saying, oh boy, we're going to get in all kinds of radical, I've seen people, yeah, we're going to learn new stuff. The reality is what we're going to learn is stuff that I think most of you know, you've heard, you've read in the Bible, but it doesn't get put together that way. And you're like, well, yeah, of course. Well, why didn't I ever think about that before? But it's not the way we're doing it. And the Lord's calling us to revival and reformation. Reformation will not bring forth the good fruit of righteousness unless it is connected with the revival of the Spirit. Revival and reformation are to do their appointed work, and in doing this work, they must blend. And this is an area we need, revival and reformation, and of all things, and that is the area of regaining that missionary purpose of the church. 
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.